This is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now, your host, Trey Harris. I only got time to say this once. I'm a special officer, and you gotta get me to 83rd in aviation. Otherwise, two very wonderful people are gonna die. Well, climb on in here, Slim. Oh, oh, thank you very much. That's right, everybody. Buckle up, because Halloween has come and gone, unfortunately. But don't forget, don't fret, I should say, because now we are full on John Candy Month, because what do you got after Halloween? A lot of fucking candy. And so do we here on 80s Revisited. It's me, your host, with the most, Trey Harris, and the sweet to my tooth, Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. And honestly, like, this was a, you know what, the one thing I've, fucking forgot <laughs> pardon my french two f-bombs already in the first five minutes to oh, yeah. uh, i meant to say it last time to look up who had asked about it so i could say uh who the the uh the email was that fucking requested this <laughs> requested a john candy no. month or yeah just this said movie? hey you should do some john candy stuff just john candy in general i play well playing strings oh, nice. and automobiles and i was like yeah i mean i've meant to do that for a while blah 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 Let's see, that's been... Hold on, sorry. I yeah, while it. we're no, playing here. this uh, clip here, this moment in the movie was a such a relief from the soundtrack. <laughs> a little sneak peek <laughs> of what I thought. <laughs> You're <I'm> wrong. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God damn it. I, I thought it was right up... I, I, I save all the emails, and I would have sworn it was like right here because I save them into the work <laughs> folder. Uh, but you know who you are. I will find it out later. Yeah, we'll be and searching sure throughout the whole full, thing. Full credit, so I can say who who's responsible for this. But anyway, this uh, yeah, whoever you are, thank you because uh, we've I've wanted for a long time to do planes, trains, and automobiles. So we all, you have to do that's a Thanksgiving movie. That is the quintessential Thanksgiving movie because Steve Martin and John Kennedy they're trying to get back for Thanksgiving, home for Thanksgiving. So it is the greatest Thanksgiving movie ever. So you have to do it for Thanksgiving. But previously, there was always something going on either. We just weren't podcasting, i.e. me wasn't podcasting, mm-hmm. other different things, blah, blah, blah. But we are correcting this era and giving John Candy, who actually, his birthday was just uh, two days ago on October 31st, 1950. Nice. Uh, more on that, we'll talk about the man and himself in just a minute. But uh, yeah, so this whole month, four episodes of John Candy headlined films. Now, I know John Candy was in a ton of classic movies in the 80s. But for this month, we're just going to be talking about ones that uh, he was, either, you know, the main or basically big cast. Uh, you know, of course, sharing the spotlight with Steve Martin in Planes, Trains. But uh, we're going to do Armed and Dangerous this week. Next week is going to be uh, uh, Great Outdoors. And then for Thanksgiving, we'll have uh, Planes, Trains, Automobiles. And we'll end the month with what I think is his second best film in the 80s, Uncle Buck. And hopefully have some surprises in there if the stars align and emails are responded to. But more on that in a little bit. So let's talk about the man himself, Mr. Jonathan. That's not really his full name, but John Candy (laughs) himself. Again, he was born October 31st, 1950. He would have been 71 years old this year. He's a proud Canadian. One of the, you know, he's up there in my my personal Mount Rushmore of Canadians right next to Brett the Hitman Hart. I don't know who else would be. I have to look it up. Maybe Shania Twain because she's so goddamn hot. But anyway, uh, John Candy passed away way too early, back in on March 4th, 1994, at 43 due to a heart attack. And I will never forget. It's one of those, 
uh, in 94, this was like pre-internet. This is, you know, this is a long time ago to where like it's some, if somebody died, if it wasn't during the day to, between news cycles, between, you know, the nine o'clock, the 10 o'clock news, the five o'clock news and the morning news, you didn't know about it till the next day unless right. you knew, you know, you were, you know, it was big on the radio or something. But I will never forget because I've said before on the podcast uh, back where I lived in Louisiana as a kid, VH1 was channel 21, I think. And it was VH1 until about 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. And then it would switch over to Comedy Central. I'm not sure why they did that, but we had Comedy Central at night, VH1 during the day. And me and my brother were sitting there waiting at like 10 or 11 p.m. that night for Mystery Science Theater to come on because every weekend is when it came on on Comedy Central. And it right right before it started, shows a picture of John Candy, like, you know, John Candy passed away today. Thank you, you know, remember him for all the great roles. Well, I'm, I'm just like, what? What is this? You know, is, is this real? And then, like, okay, kind of put it in the back of my head, and we watched Mystery Science Theater, wake up the next morning, all over the news, John Candy passed away. Major fucking bummer. Uh, again, like, as especially in the 80s, and you know, any time John Candy showed up in a movie, it was a good time. He is, he, I mean, just oozed charisma. And uh, looking through interviews and people's reflections of him on YouTube, you know, nobody had a bad thing ever to say about the man. Not that anybody's perfect. Everybody, not that anybody is perfect or, you know, has anything like that, but he was always like his uh, peers and everybody had nothing but good things to say about him. And I think, and one of the things actually, I uh, watched an interview with Le Eugene Le uh, Levy, Levy, however you pronounce it in, mm -hmm. in Canada, uh, <laughs> was saying how just like what you saw, he was friends with John for a long time. They were on SCTV together. And then of course they did this. Uh, and I think they were in, maybe, I, maybe in some other movies, I think they're both in splash. Maybe I can't remember. Uh, but he said that like the John that you saw on camera was pretty much how he was in real life in terms of that, that just, he just has that, that charisma, but that personability to everything he does, every role he did, even in home alone, where there's that movie theory that he's actually the devil because he appears when Catherine O'Hara, another veteran at SCTV, uh, says, I will send my soul to the devil himself to get home to my child. He's like, ah, oh, excuse me. So there's a big conspiracy, or I say conspiracy theory, but a movie theory about that. And also that scene is a scene in Home Alone where people say Elvis is in the background. So go down the Home Alone rabbit hole for that. Mm. Uh, as it's now Christmas time because Halloween has come and gone. So it's Christmas everywhere already. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, John Candy, uh, he died a heart attack. And he was always kind of afraid that that would happen to him because his father actually died in his 30s of heart issues and his last two films, Canadian bacon and wagons East both, re both released after his death. Uh, he has 65 acting credits between 72 and 95 nominated for nine date, uh, primetime enemies in enemies, <laughs> <laughs> Emmys for his work with SCTV. He won two. He was married in 79 till, his, till he passed away. Two kids. And wow. I thought this was interesting. He wanted to play football. That was his dream to play football professionally, but he had a knee injury that made him transition into acting, which, obviously benefited the entire world with him gracing and letting us get to know him through film and television. And as I mentioned before, he worked at SCTV, Second City Television in uh, Toronto, I believe, with uh, Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, and Harold Ramis. A uh, lot of, obviously, and plus himself, big names came out of that, uh, much like you have, uh, what's the the Groundlings, where you had Elvira and Pee Wee Herman and other comics in America come out of these little uh, troops, T-R-O-U-P-E-S, troops acting troops they have around the country uh mm -hmm. but sctv second city in chicago and toronto like i said i'm pretty sure it's toronto uh bevy of talent came out of that but you know of those i mean i mean candy at the time 
and how Ramus in the eighties too. But Ramus was much more round, well rounded, being a writer and a, a actor. Candy, you know, mainly just an actor for the most part. But yeah, that's kind of the background on John Candy. And growing up in the eighties, I mean, I always you know, he was one of those actors that I just loved, like seeing and everything. Like, oh, it's John Candy. He's, you know, he, again, he he had that quality about him that so few actors have these days. And honestly, not just these days. All if you go back in time, just you know. You got your Jeremy Stewart, you know, and your certain other actors, Rick Moranis, like you're, you're kind of going through on the, what we see, what I'm watching Jesse do on the pod, uh, our visual feed here. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some actors you just kind of have a feeling that they're so genuine in their acting. Uh, Tom Hanks, uh, I guess would be a big one for me. I know not everybody likes Tom Hanks. A lot of people think he's eating, <laughs> drinking the blood of babies like Hillary Clinton these days. But uh, conspiracy theories like that have no place here on this podcast. But nevertheless, uh, Jesse, what are your thoughts on John Candy? Memories of John Candy. I love John Candy. Um, I watched Cool Runnings a bunch. It was one of the few VHS tapes we had in the house. Mm-hmm. So just absolutely my second exposed. favorite John Candy film. Yeah, just lots of John Candy going on in the house. Um, I mean, today's movie I had not seen before, mm-hmm. I, or I would say I'd never even heard of it before. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> this was a TBS one for me, so. But yeah, uh, that one and Harry Crumb was another VHS we had. But oh yeah, yeah. just I'm, lots of uh, lots of John Candy. Absolutely. And then I uh, had something to say, and then I completely forgot about it. But I'm ah, sure it'll well. maybe possibly come back an hour later. It's a long episode, yeah. so there'll be time. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how fast it goes. But uh, yeah, anyway, Armed and Dangerous. Let's talk about the movie now. Uh, Came out August 15th, 1986, IMDb 5.7, Rotten Tomatoes, critics 10%, 39% however in the audience, so lots of fluctuation there between IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes and the critics. 12 million estimated budget, opened at 4.3, which is good enough for number two. However, it opened the same day as the horror classic The Fly which was number one that week at the box office. However, Armed and Dangerous would go on to domestically gross 5.9 million, so it it made a three million minus, you know, marketing and all that kind of stuff. So it made some money, but it wasn't a big, big hit. Uh, I think we'll come to that conclusion after we're talking done talking about it as well. Uh, directed by Mark Lester, he did a couple of uh, other notable movies to me, none of which I'd say are amazingly directed. But uh, I would say I would say he's a competent '80s director. But he did um, uh, <clears throat> Firestarter, based on the Stephen King novel, uh, Caddyshack. I'm sorry, Commando one of Arnold's cheesiest best of the eighties and the Brandon Lee speaking of, you know, in the headlines again, strangely enough, because of what happened uh, with Alec Baldwin recently showdown in little Tokyo where he played with Dolph Lundgren, which is a very underrated, super fun, cheesy movie. Although I think that came out in 91, maybe so won't be on the podcast. Yeah. However, uh, and this was uh, written. Yeah. There's several story credits, but Harold Ramis is the one who had the story and screenplay credit. So I'm going with him alone as the writer, although there was other, other people that had other input. But, of course, he also wrote Meatballs, Caddyshack, Stripes, Ghostbusters, very talented writer and actor. But, of course, most people will know Harold Ramis as Egon. Or, excuse me, I'm sorry, Do, Ray, Egon from Ghostbusters. <laughs> That's how he should always be introduced. Uh, cinematographer was Fred Schuler. He also did Honey, Haunted Honeymoon with, uh, I believe, Gene Wilder was in that. And Fletch with Chevy Chase. So the he's... Was he's not a good cinematographer, but you know, in my opinion, <laughs> and starring the man of the month, Jonathan Candy, as Frank Dooley, of course, Home Alone, planes, pl- uh, trains, planes, and automobiles, 
Stripes, Uncle Buck, National Lampoon's uh, Vacation, Cool Runnings, lots of bit parts and many other things. JFK, Oliver Stone's JFK. Uh, Eugene Levy was Norman Kane. He was, of course, lately, recently, I should say, Shit's Creek. But also, he was he's in all the Christopher Guest movies, like Best in Show, A Mighty Wind. Uh, he was also in Splash and Stay Tuned with uh, the late, great John Ritter. Uh, Robert Logia, a veteran of the podcast, was Carlino. Uh, he was in Independence Day. He's, Mr. President, I'd like to know what the hell you think you're doing. Every time I see Robert Logie, I think of that line from Independence Day for some reason. And then, of course, Bill Pullman says the classic line, I'm a pilot, Bill. I belong in the air. (laughs) It was also, uh, I think Frank was his name in Scarface. uh, With, uh, I don't know, is it, if somebody plays like, you know, is that still called brownface? If you're playing Mm. like, you know, if a white person is playing a Cuban. Cuban But he's, yeah, I'm not (laughs) sure if that's. I don't want to get canceled by saying the wrong thing, but you know, he was, he was playing a different ethnicity in Scarface. He's many people were in that movie. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of, well, yeah, to be fair, a lot of people were, you know, so uh, I go, I guess it goes without saying, so let's move on. Meg Ryan was Maggie, uh, of course, inner space, veteran of the podcast, Harry met Sally and the Nicholas cage classic. What the fuck movie city of angels, which I'm not sure if I ever talked about that on the podcast. If I did, I'm sorry for the listeners. I think I did too. So uh, no, to I sum said up, I don't think you have. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. talking so fast. I'm not listening like, to my producer. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about with that. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you know, I just get to going. I, you know, it's no all gas, no brakes here. Ha right? <laughs> ha. Wink, wink. Uh, but yeah, City of Angels. Basically, City of Angels was a remake of a Wim Wenders black and white movie called Wings of Desire, and I only know that I've only seen Wings of Desire because in my college film class. Our super far left teacher made us watch it. Cool movie. Peter Falk was in it. It's it's an, you know I'm not, I'm not complaining. I'm just being kind of facetious. Uh, you know worth seeing one worth seeing once. But mm-hmm. City of Angels, of course, all I knew about this film was that it's re, it was a remake of that, and Nicolas Cage is in it, and it's got the Goo Goo Dolls song, probably the best Goo Goo. Well, nah, Black Balloon's better than Iris. Uh, but the anyway, most played so, Goo Goo Dolls song. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> if, if you ask, if you ask anybody to name a Goo Goo Dolls song, the the results are going to come back with Iris number one, I'm sure. Uh, but anyway, so Autumn, my wife's always like, "Oh, we need to watch City of Angels. It's so good." And you love Nicolas Cage, which I do. So, like, sure, you know. And a couple months ago, we watched it. It is the most. It's so dumb. It is just Nicolas. It's he is great in it as always. Meg Ryan, it's not bad acted or anything, but it's just the story is and the way it's handled is so fucking stupid. I just, my eyes, you know, like that sound when the ball makes in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark when it's chasing him, like when it's first starting, like that stone grating on stone. That's the sound my eyeballs made when they were rolling in my head watching this movie. Uh, so, you know, there's my, uh, there's your little hint of 90s <laughs> revisited, or is that 2000 <laughs> revisited? Uh but we're not here to talk about Nicolas Cage and City of Angels. Uh, but uh, speaking of recent events as well with uh, Brandon Lee, as I mentioned earlier, Kenneth McMillan is Captain O'Connell in this. He was in Dune. He was the Baron Harkonnen in the uh, original David Lynch Dune. He was also in Amadeus and Cat's Eye, another Stephen King connection there. And this movie is absolutely packed with character actors. Big, big character actors. First of which, Brian James was Lazarus, the one of the villainous detectives, 174 acting credits. He's no longer with us, uh, but he was the uh, he's the replicant in the beginning of Blade Runner, uh, Fifth Element. He's the like the general, and also he was one of the bad guys in Tango and Cash. Uh, Jonathan Banks. It was Klepper, the, uh, the partner to Brian Jones as Lazarus. Of course, Mike from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. He's also in Gremlins, and he's a veteran of the podcast with Gremlins and 
Beverly Hills Cop. But most importantly, as we always like to try to find a connection to every episode, he was in an episode of Hardcastle and McCormick. So if you're a new listener, go way the hell back to our first 10 or 15 episodes. I think that bit is somewhere in there to understand why we or why I like to give credit to Hardcastle and McCormick. Tom Lister Jr. Uh, was Bruno. He recently, I think, passed away just last year, actually. Uh, of course, uh, Debo from Friday, the president in The Fifth Element, uh, Zeus in No Holds Barred. And and I think a little bit of miscasting. He was the big – I mean, because he he's such that that menacing look. Uh, he was the, the prisoner on the boat in Dark Knight who takes the thing to blow up the other boat from the Joker's quote-unquote humanity test at the end and throws it out the window. Uh, so that's what I – even though he's in, he's been in so many other good things because of that moment is just to me, took me out of that movie so much. I think of him as that first now. Uh, and again, moving on another character actor, James Tolkien. He's Lou. He's the principal from back to the future or the, yeah, he was the principal. Yeah. He was a principal, I think, but he was the sheriff in part three. No, I can't remember. It's been so long, <laughs> uh, but he was also the detective in masters of the universe. Uh, the heart, the heart, you know, the hard, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Fuck. Help me out here, Jesse. Hard case. <laughs> He's a hard case detective uh, in Masters of the Universe that doesn't buy these punk kid shit with all this space stuff going on. And then rounding it out, Larry Hankin, a name you probably don't know, but a face you will absolutely recognize the second he shows up. He's Kokolovich, 198 credits. He was also Jeez. in Breaking Bad, in ALF, planes, trains, and automobiles, also in Home Alone. But what I'm sure you'll remember him from, Jesse, is in the Seinfeld episode, the pilot, he mm -hmm. was the actor playing Kramer in the pilot, but he has yeah, been in right. everything. The yeah. second he showed up, like it's, that, he's, he's one of those. I know a lot of character actors, but he's one of the ones I didn't know his name, but it's like, he pops up like, he's that guy. I know that guy. Well, oh, he's from a whole bunch of shit. So that's where I know him from yep. a whole bunch of shit. He was so, the upstairs neighbor the and friends. I wouldn't know that because I right. don't watch unfunny shows. <laughs> uh, overrated unfunny shows like Friends and Big Bang Theory. Uh, so there you go. Sorry. Dies, I don't so. like <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, this is the first one I think since we've been back, Jesse, that you've actually seen as well and recently as well. Yeah. So let's start with you. What did you think of 1986's Armed and Dangerous? In short, it was fine. Mm -hmm. uh, we I'm were right talking beforehand it was like it feels like a TV movie and it re yeah it really does feel like a TV movie in fact we watched some clips on YouTube that cut out some scenes that um, that were in there so I imagine the clips on YouTube are the TV version mm -hmm. like in the uh, adult oh, store in the, uh, yeah, th yeah. They, they don't end up putting the quarters in in the TV version but uh you know, in the movie version, they do. Um, yeah, and, uh, and note, this movie is PG-13. Ah, okay. It is not R, because I, I, going into it, I thought this was R, which is why I always saw it on television and never rented it, because I thought it was rated R. But, uh, yeah, for the scene you mentioned, uh, I'm surprised it wasn't rated R. <laughs> yeah. Because you see damn titties. Oh, yeah. But some of the things I didn't care for, I just think uh, John Candy was misused. In this, mm -hmm. um, Eugene Levy was fine, but I mean, you know, there really wasn't. There's usually a kooky character and a straight man or something like that. And this, yeah, there really wasn't that. So you were like, who do I relate to <laughs> when mm -hmm. these two people are screwing up? 
But yeah, you bo- you basically have two funny guys yeah. and no straight man. Yeah. Uh, I mean, John Candy Candy tried to be the straight man in that because he's like, I'm going to take my job seriously and stuff like that, which I just, yeah, I just think that was a misuse with John Candy. And not to mention Mm -hmm. the very annoying soundtrack um, (laughs) throughout the whole thing. Absolutely. And honestly, the the TV movie thing is, I think, is dead on. And I attribute that to Mark Lester, the director, Mm -hmm. because honestly, think about Commando. That feels like a TV action movie. The way it's shot, the way it's lit, everything. It just feels so – it feels more television than theatrical. And I think – personally, I think that's the director's choice. Yeah. And the cinematographer is not very good on this particular picture. Uh, but I 100% agree. It's just – it's very – you know, tonight, the ABC family movie, Armed and Dangerous. <laughs> as opposed to, you know, the tel- – as opposed to the network television premiere of Armed and Dangerous. Yeah. So, 100% agree with that. Uh, this was a stacked so. cast, though. I mean, maybe not at the oh, time, but later on, they became a stacked cast. Oh, absolutely. Cast. Every, almost every speaking role is somebody of note, or mm-hmm. for the most part, except that, you know, that American Gladiator lady at the, the gym. But <laughs> most anybody that says something in this movie, you've seen them in something else. Like, I yep. mean, it's just like, exactly. It's so, when I was going watching, I was just like, Jesus Christ, it's going to take me an hour just to do the cast on this. It was like that Leonardo DiCaprio meme where he's pointing at the TV from... Oh, yeah, every five seconds. Yeah. (laughs) Well, well, hey, it's that guy. It's that guy. In fact, if I had the time, I'd go back and make that meme. It would be one of those... You have to click on it on Facebook to have the full meme because it would be like, you know, uh, what you would call Walgreens Walgreens receipt or CVS receipt. Whichever one is the one that's the pun for being too long. long ones, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you honestly summed up my exact feelings of the film right there. Uh, it, it, it was fun to watch. I haven't, haven't not seen it in a while. Right. It's not up to the caliber of comedy that you expect mm-hmm. from John Candy. And I think that's exactly what you were saying, too, is that you kind of have two funny men with they're trying to make Candy play a straight man in this, which he can absolutely do. Yeah. But that is a misuse of him when it's John Candy. Mm-hmm. So, but um, no, it was... It was yeah, some positives I guess I would have is uh, toward the end they had the uh, the chase scene and mm-hmm. the '80s. Oh my god, did that, co- that Corvette better. going under the uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that looked. I was like, is this a snuff film? Because that was a fantastic <laughs> crash. Because that was the best. That was one of the best edits I've ever seen. It was so quick from them in the car going ah to it crashing. Yeah, to where you see the dumb. I mean, obviously it had to be dummies because if that was a stuntman, they're dead. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was like, "Oh my god!" It made me like, "Holy shit!" Because yeah. it looked so good. That was if I had to give like te- from a technical standpoint, that crash at the end, that multiple car crash at the end, yeah, like the ice cream trunk goes up too. That car crash was <laughs> that was so well far fetched. The, the the ice cream truck <laughs> being involved, just <laughs> no, no. a random fireball flies towards it and blows it up. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I mean, it's, fun. It's, it's a fun movie. Yeah, it, yeah, it's meant to be like, what the hell just happened? Supposed to be a jaw-dropping it's, moment right there. Yeah, which I did because for that edit, just for that one edit. Really? Like, I'm thinking like, oh, my God, they're dead. There's no way. It looks it, – whoever did – I mean, you know, because that's – especially in the 80s, whenever there's – you know, it's always the dummies that give a, something away, mm-hmm. especially in 80s movies. Or, you know, any, even today, The Rock, Michael Bay's The Rock, there are two dummy shots in that movie that are just unforgivable. They're so bad. Uh, you know, where the elbows bend and the knees bend. The, that's always the telltale thing for me. It's always one of the joints bending the wrong way, and it's just it immediately takes you out of a movie. 
but th- this crash scene was this that whole in you know, the action part of the film was very well done. Yeah, it, it uh, gave me hints of like Blues Brothers. I mean, mm, they're like top yeah. tier, but like yeah, oh, yeah, you got a little bit of that here because you get to see the cars just really come apart when they're wrecking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you have the stereotypical like they they go through the vegetables, right? <laughs> uh, you're going down the streets, you know, very very eighties, you know. Very technically well done for that part. So, like, you know, there is some good here. The, uh, of course, if you watch it on television, like you mentioned, the whole sex scene or uh, sex store scene was pretty yeah. funny. Although, <laughs> John Candy is actually kind of attractive in drag. Uh, <laughs> you ever find, did you ever think when John Candy put on a wig and a dress that he was attractive? <laughs> no. No. Uh, that whole scene, but like I said, you have to watch, you have to actually watch the real version to get that whole scene. Because uh, it's pretty funny. You, him and him now, I will, him and Eugene Levy definitely. Because I mean, they go back to SCTV as I mentioned before. They're chem, they do have undeniable chemistry in this film. But I think, like you were saying, you know, they're, it's, they're trying to do the straight man, funny man thing. But when you're when those two guys are John Candy and Eugene Levy, it's kind of it's really hard to do that. Because even when John Candy tries to be a straight man, not that he can't do it, because he, he has done dramatic stuff before, mm-hmm. uh, his soliloquy about the mole on the chin and Uncle Buck, for example, <laughs> is amazing. Uh, in JFK, you know, cool runnings where he's talking about why he cheated and all that. You know, I mean, he's, he's, he is. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> We're watching the car crash scene again. Just throws a fireball uh, at the ice cream truck and blows up. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Yeah, it's great though. And there's the du- oh, actually, yeah. I, did, I did. I was so I was so amazed by the previous work. I know I actually didn't notice the dummy in the back of the. Actually, that looks that still looks pretty good. Yeah, the du- you know the obviously it's not a real person. <laughs> they, this movie has some of the best dummy work I've ever seen. I'll put it to you that way. I, I'll give I'll give it I'll give it I got to mm-hmm. give it that feather in its hat. Uh, very good. Very <laughs> God. <laughs> God. Again, sorry, audio joke on a visual podcast. Right. That Corvette going under, just, that cut is so perfect where you don't have time to register that it's not real people. Or that the I, stunt yeah. guy is sitting in the back <laughs> over here yeah, watching everything. <laughs> just a random dude. Right. And click. Yeah, pretty much. What He's you probably right can't see scene. behind the wheel is the, uh, the, the plunger thing to like blow it up. Yeah, I mean, he's sitting right there. Uh, so we're looking at Armed and Dangerous Scene 12. If you're on YouTube, you can look that up. Um, it's just like a 36 second clip of what we're talking about, but yeah, I think that's a crew person sitting behind the truck there. Yeah. Why else would they be there on a deserted street? That's to be something. right. <laughs> yeah. There's nobody else around because <laughs> obviously close, you know, close for, uh, filming an explosion. <laughs> so nobody would be there if they're going right. to blow it up except somebody who needed to be there. So Crazy. yeah, <laughs> good catch, Jesse. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's it, overall, you know, it's, it's, it's not. It's no space balls. It's no three amigos. It's no uh, Uncle Buck. But you know, it's it's fun. It's worth watching. You know, once every twenty years, kind of yeah. thing. I'll give it that. Which is actually maybe every thirty years because that's the last time I saw it on when I saw it on TV. Or if you can ago. catch the last quarter of it on uh, yeah. TBS or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's where I first saw it. And that's where I was like, oh, what is this? Is John Candy the cop? Cool. And then uh. You know what? This might actually be the first time I've seen the real version, to be honest with you, with the sex, with the full sex scene, sex store scene. Yeah. And uh, the f bomb in the first like five minutes <laughs> of the movie. Because <laughs> when I first saw that, I'm like, oh, oh, okay, they said fuck. I know this isn't PG. I always thought this was R. And you know, that's what I want to double check. And it's actually PG 13, which kind of blew my mind. It's not so much for the F bomb, because you have that in PG and 
PG-13 movies, but the sex store scene mm-hmm. where there are clearly titties, <laughs> not in an artistic manner, not in a Titanic way, in a I'm putting the quarter in the thing in the mirror and the window is going to open up and I'm going to watch these titties. It helps them think. That kind of way. <laughs> so... <laughs> And that scene was that scene was really fun. See, honestly, that's one of the funniest scenes. He's like, "Give me a quarter." It helps me think. Like him constantly mm-hmm. asking him for change to keep the window open so he can think. Uh, that was uh, okay. Actually, there's one YouTube right there. Yeah, see the reflection. Someone someone did upload the uh, the dirty version <laughs> onto YouTube. And, yeah, if you pay attention, you you don't have to look. It's not like you gotta look through the squiggles. You can see it. Yeah. So. Yeah, but uh, I'd say it's worth watching. We'll get we'll to our scores at the end. But uh, some mm-hmm. trivia, not too much, but a few little uh, interesting tidbits behind it. Harold Ramis executive produced the film, story and screenplay credit, and a producer credit. Uh, but he did, not, he did not like the final cut of the movie. And he wanted his name removed from it, which they didn't. They only removed his producer credit. That's mm-hmm. why you still see his name on the opening titles. Uh, and I, this is, I thought this was incredible. Like what I'm about to take, we always like to talk about the what ifs, who could have been who, who could have directed it, you know, the differences that could have been, but through how the business works, this is how the movie came out. But originally this was a, it was first going to be John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd. So it almost would have been a spiritual sequel to the Blues Brothers in a sense. Mm. But what happened? John Belushi passed away. So they, then they tried to get it to star Harold, Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd, which could have worked as well, uh, and that didn't fall, that fell through. And then the next version was uh, John Candy and Dan Aykroyd, but this is the kicker: John Carpenter was on board to direct it, oh. which would have been very interesting. Mm-hmm. However, in the end, Aykroyd and Carpenter left, leaving leaving pretty much Candy the only one attached to it. And he suggested his good friend from SCTV, Eugene Levy, to play in it. And that's how we kind of ended up with the version that we have. So it would have been very interesting to see. The John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, John Carpenter directed version of this movie, because hmm. that that would have had to have been R, and that probably would have been, who knows, would it have been better? I think I think it would have in this case. I think it'd be safe to say with that talent behind it, mm-hmm. it would have been pretty amazing. Not to diminish anybody's work in this film, but I mean, come on, Belushi and Aykroyd, yeah. and John Carpenter directing it, I'm on board for that. I take that bet. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Frank and uh, Norman are escaping the party at uh, Robert. Just Carlino, his character's mansion. The building in the background is the same building used for Tony Montana's business front in Scarface, which, of course, as mentioned before, Robert Logia was in both of them. Mm-hmm. And his house is the same house used in the original Beverly Hillbillies. So a lot of uh, Hollywood history right there between uh, that location. And uh, I thought this was interesting because I've never been a security guard. But when John Candy, when they when they arrive at the warehouse for work that first night before they kind of kicks off the plot of the movie and uh tiny gives them the uh they give them two what he calls detail or he doesn't say it but he gives them time clocks so you know why do they got to carry around their time clocks well, i thought this was interesting so this is your the more you know moment for the episode uh they're called detex clocks and they're commonly used in the security industry to show a security guard actually walked their rounds while they're on duty so they can't just you know all right i'm gonna go do my rounds and they go take a nap for an hour uh basically what you do they have those clocks they carry with them and they punch the clock with small keys that are left at different locations of the place where the property that you're protecting. So you have to go walk over there, get that key, punch the clock at the, at the time that you're patrolling, put the key back. And that lets everybody, lets, lets them know that you actually performed your rounds. So 
I thought that was pretty interesting. Hmm. Of course, nowadays they don't need that because they probably just track you with a GPS thing and right. see where you walked all night. Much easier. Uh, and I thought, and again, we talk about John Candy being a, a stand-up kind of guy. You know, just a nice, genuine person with that same personality you tend to see on screen. Uh, according to Brian Grazer, who was also a producer on a, a 2015 episode of the WTF podcast, uh, the director actually walked off the set when he demanded that John Candy call Meg Ryan a bitch, and he would not call Meg Ryan a bitch. So he, the director walked <laughs> off, and Grazer had to finish directing for the day. So hats off to John Candy for being a stand-up guy to Meg Ryan yeah. and to women in general. Uh, and I thought this was funny because, of course, any time like Ghostbusters where uh, Winston uh, Ernie Hudson is like, this ain't worth like 360 I forget the exact amount he says because uh, I neglected to watch Ghostbusters this year for Halloween because I was catching up on other movies. Uh, where he says like an insanely, ridiculously low rate of pay for being a ghostbuster, which I would do that job. For, although I would do, I would be a ghostbuster for that low amount of money. Cause it's about the experience. Uh, but in this movie, uh, the Baron Harkonnen says it's four sixty an hour that they get paid. That equals about $10 and 73 cents an hour in 2019. Mm-hmm. And the $30 initiation or, uh, fees per month that equals out to about 69 99. So the $15 per week dues come out to about $35 a week. Now, uh, of course, they didn't. They, don't, they didn't know this, but in 2019, when they did this comparison, that they would be making 10.73 per hour. The minimum wage in California was 12 dollars, so they would they would have actually had to have, should have been making more than that at that point. Wow. So that's a little fun political <laughs> aside for you. But uh, yeah, score wise. Uh, it, it's middle of the road for me. I'd give it a, I give it a five, but it gets one extra point just for having John Candy in it for Candy Month because you could take if he's in, like I mentioned before, he makes if if you're watching a bad movie and he shows up, you will always give the movie credit for having that. At least hey, that one. If I had to say one good thing about it, John Candy showed up in it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, so. it's it's middle of the road. It's not. Yeah. Oh, what was that? I was thinking a uh, five point five myself. So. Yeah, I give it a little more just for the candy factor. Mm-hmm. Uh. Because it's just he's again, you know, it 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 the thing that makes me sad about doing this month, you know, focusing on him is just that, you know, I mean, he died at forty three years old. Yeah, well, I'm forty one. Yeah, I was two say, years older than there. me. <laughs> you know, and it's just like, and that was ninety four, man. And mm. just think of the the parts that we missed having him in since then. Like, obviously, you know, Shit's Creek was a huge deal, uh, and rightfully so. It was a great show. He uh, he would have been on that. You know, he would have been somebody on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the uh, Christopher Guest movies, he probably would have been part of that because that was a whole bunch of SCTV alums and all those movies. Which you haven't seen the Christopher Guest movies like A Mighty Wind, Best in Show. There was one not too recently, I think it was on Netflix, but it was about mascots. You know, they do kind of the reality competition movie genre kind of yeah. movies. Uh, they're all they're qu- very quirky but very entertaining. Uh, check those out. But yeah, you know, it's just that's the biggest thing with me. Just think, just talking about him, it's just like God, you know. He left some great. He left a great s- small body of work, but I mean, he had such a big personality, and you know, he's, he's just one of those actors that you know, like, like for me, like Christopher Reeve, like you know, when I see him in Superman, it's just like, God, like I miss him. I miss that. Uh, same thing with John Candy, just like you know, same same kind of situation there. Although I've heard that uh, Christopher Reeve wasn't very nice off camera to some people, <laughs> <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. He'll always be my Superman. Just like Can- John Candy will always be my uh, Uncle Buck and uh, bobsled coach. Yep. For that matter. And in fact, I'm like, every time uh, 
I see we watch a show and, and somebody has big plastic earrings on. My first my first response, my first remark to Autumn is that, hey, I guess she got her earrings from uh, John Candy and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. So if you've seen that movie, you should get that joke. If not, <laughs> just wait. We're covering it for Thanksgiving. And you should watch that movie on Thanksgiving because it's a goddamn classic. So uh, let's see. Uh, in the real world, uh, well, Jesse, you said 5.5, right? I said 6. Correct. Uh, did. Okay, just making sure we didn't miss it. Uh, in the real world, again, this came out August 19th, uh, 1986, two weeks after it was stolen on August 19th, the same day this was released. Excuse me, the Picasso painting, Weeping Woman, is found in a locker at the Spencer Street Station in Melbourne, Australia. Mm. Shout out to Australian listeners and Tasmanian listeners. Uh, always try to get something in there for that. If there's one thing you could count on Asia Visit, it's an Australia or Tasmania <laughs> reference and Hardcastle McCormick. Yep. Uh, that's what that will be on our uh, that, on our, our, on our when they, if they have a podcast graveyard whenever this podcast ends that will be on the uh, <laughs> the tombstone. Uh, but uh, back to the future this week, uh, Jesse. I'm sorry, I still haven't seen Dune. Okay, uh, like I said, I wanted to see it in a theater, although that keeps getting less and less <laughs> likely. So um, by the time we record again, if I don't if I don't see it this week, I'm going to watch it at home. I really want to see it in the theater. It's just my days off without Violet while she's in daycare are pretty hectic right now. So, uh, but I hadn't seen Dune yet, but have you seen anything this week or since we last spoke or mm. aside from Armed and Dangerous, of course? Don't think I have actually. I saw one movie, uh, one new movie, I should say, uh, not, you know, Halloween movies that I've already seen a hundred times. Uh, it was called 13 Fanboy and it was like a, basically a fan film, but it was a fan film made by actors from previous like Friday the 13th and 80s horror movies. So I was interested in it in that, but it's it's not good. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly what I thought it would be. But it, you know, based on what I told you, it just was. That's uh-huh. exactly what it is. It's cool. It's cool seeing those old actors again. Don't get me wrong. That's the that the nostalgia factor is great in it. The movie itself is not good. Uh, D. Uh, I mean, everybody's mom. Uh, D. Wallace is in it. She's great. Uh, I mean, she was always great. I mean, she was you know in terms of acting uh in the movie in that movie and in previous movies i mean we're talking you're talking people who were murdered by jason in, in one friday the 13th and you actually got kane hotter and cj graham who played jason in the film as well uh but it's a little too fan filmy in terms mm. of how it's done it's well done for what it is don't get me wrong but uh so if you're like if you like you know if you're a fan of friday the 13th and you like you know well-made fan films it meets that criteria you know, it's, it's good seeing D. Wallace do something because you know she's she was everybody's mom in the eighties. Right. Uh, John Kenny was everybody's Uncle Buck, and she was everybody's mom. Hmm. Uh, and then uh, I'm not the last boss of Metroid Dread, and it pisses me the fuck off. <laughs> so uh, I'm like, okay, I, I I've loved the Metroid series, but I, this is the first one I played. This is the first like side scrolling one in a long time. I didn't play uh-huh. any of, like the Game Boy Advance because I never had a Game Boy Advance. The double jump is so fucking quirky in this game. I, I'm still not used to it. And, that, and, I, and you have to really master it to effectively beat this four phase or three phase last boss that I get. And, you know, it's, it's, it's old school, which I like uh, to where, you know, you, you lose, you got to start all over. But typical Nintendo, they don't start you at the boss fight. You got to get on the fucking elevator after you die to start over. So you can't just go right back into the fight. <laughs> so fun game. <laughs> but this last boss is giving me 1994 Trey right. rage of no. video games like mother, like wh- miss this jump one time and you get hit you know um i i, get, I, I can master i master the first phase 
the second phase, just you know, I got I, I mastered the first phase because I play it so much to keep trying to beat the second phase, then finally beat the second phase, and like, oh, now I got to learn the third phase while mastering is too much. It's too much. It's too much for a forty-one-year-old dad who is working and babies and taking care of his <laughs> child all day. So put it to you that way. But nevertheless, fun game. Nothing but good things to say about it, but it's fucking hard. It's driving me insane, mainly because the double jump is not as intuitive as it is in like other platforming games. If you have any oh, tips for Trey for this game yeah. and the double jump, 80sRevisited at gmail.com. And while you're at it, we could use some new reviews on iTunes. It's been a long time. Yeah, it, we're now in the Christmas season. It is November 2nd. You know, uh, Dia de los Muertos was yesterday. So we're officially mm-hmm. in the Christmas season as far as I'm concerned and as far as all uh, – Commerce in America is concerned now because <laughs> no there is not, you know, I mean, they, they always say you can judge how bad the economy is, how soon you see Christmas stuff appear in stores. And this shit was in stores almost before the Halloween decorations at Target. <laughs> there was one aisle of Halloween, I mean, trick, uh, Christmas stuff already when the yeah. Halloween stuff was being put out. Costco's had so, the Christmas trees up for about a month and a half now. <laughs> yeah, it's just crazy. It's just, you know, my opinion is that's fine, but do that November 2nd. Mm. Halloween is the second biggest holiday and it's the best holiday. Give it its due. And then, you know, November 2nd, you know, midnight, November 1st, you know, towards November 12 a.m. November 2nd, take it all down. Fine with it. But I mean, yep. come fucking on, man. <laughs> this, I mean, ser- you know, I'm, I'm fine now. You know, Autumn put out a few, you know, I, I took down all of our, most of our Halloween decorations this morning and she put out a couple little Christmas things. I'm fine with that. You know, we need we need Christmas when this pandemic. You know we need that kind of celebratory attitude. So that's fine. But give you know Thanksgiving. I'm sorry, you're fucked. There's you know Thanksgiving is observed by you know me having dinner with my family and watching planes, trains, automobiles. That's literally my Thanksgiving every year. And then Thanksgiving, which is a a movie about a uh, no. I'm thinking of Poultry Guys. See the Poultry Guys or thing. I think it's Thanksgiving, but it's the one with the killer turkey. It's a horrible right. bad movie, but it's hilarious. So. Uh, there's that. So where were we? Oh yeah. <laughs> like Jesse said, <laughs> e- email us at 80s, 80s at gmail.com. Leave us some reviews. Let us know how we're doing, especially since we have, I don't think we have any reviews since we came back. Right. We did have, a, I think one or two while we were gone. Strangely enough. Thanks killing. Thank you for bringing that up. Jesse. Thanks killing <laughs> is the correct one I was thinking of. Uh, it's a bad movie. It's bad, but it's hilarious. It's, you know, get drunk, get high. Don't watch it with your kids. It's a foul mouth Turkey. That's killing people. There's multiple, but it's, it's pretty fucking funny. So, uh, but yeah, uh, so 80s revisited gmail.com on Facebook, 80s revisited podcast on Instagram, 80s 80s underscore revisited. Uh, and don't forget our good friends, both far and away, Cajun Toy Review with John, and of course the BAMCast with Ben, the Tasmanian Devil Wyatt, or should I say, Ben the Doomslayer Wyatt. He had a great, mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw his video about uh, trick or treating. Uh, great one, little, yeah. great little uh, TCW promo there. Uh, <laughs> uh, I had to laugh at it. Uh, and to go behind the car, I don't know if I don't, I'll get in trouble for doing this, but that's his, that's his daughter. Because uh, I was talking with Ben off camera or, uh, you know, watching some of his matches and all that, giving him some feedback. And uh, yeah, a fan slapped him and almost pretty much cost him a match. Uh, mm-hmm. And but it was his daughter. So you know, it, it, that's cute. That is nice. I mean, Ben's a good guy. You know, he's got, you know, it's it, uh, in the little video, the promo he's shooting, he does. Uh, it's great. It's really, it's really cute. Uh and it's very – I find it very entertaining. Could it be because I know who he is? Maybe. But, you know, I like wrestling, <laughs> especially on a local level where you got people that are doing it because they want to do it, not doing it 
for a paycheck, so to speak, for the most part. So you got that passion there yeah. about you know wanting to do something, and you know, just like this up podcast. There doing it. Exactly. There you go. You know, I get to sit in a comfy chair. I don't get to throw myself against you know metal ropes <laughs> wrapped in a thin layer of padding, and you know, put my body at risk because I would. <laughs> It's like that Crumble. scene out with Spider-Man 2 or Spider-Man 1, my back. My first like, you know, my first hip flip, my back. Ah, pin me. You know, I'm, I call, you know, the ref is immediately doing this, the, the X signal like, X, get him out, get the medical out of here. He just fell. He just, you know, that would be me because I am in terrible shape. I look good. Don't get me wrong. I got, I got to be positive about myself. I got to be body positive about myself. But I'm, I look good. I look, I look fit. I got, a, I got a football player build. But I am out of shape. I sit Indian style playing Metroid. My daughter sits on my lap and she watches some YouTube video while I play Metroid. And then like five minutes, I'm like, you got, baby, you got to get up. Daddy's legs are asleep. <laughs> Daddy can't feel his legs anymore. And then I got to get support to get up. So, yeah, I need, to get, I need to be a little more active. If only we do this podcast while on a treadmill. Mm. That would that be, would be noisy. terrible. <laughs> terrible idea. <laughs> yeah. All right. Oh, we got to stop. Constant effort. <laughs> yeah would not work so anyway next week we'll be back talking speaking of getting outside we'll be talking about the great outdoors with Dan Aykroyd and John Candy uh, actually that house where they filmed it that's on the actual Universal Studios uh, Hollywood back lot I've seen that house it is right next to the, one of the largest uh, blue screen tank uh, like tanks uh, hmm. to film like you know boat scenes that kind of thing Uh, and it's literally, uh, like if you look on Google maps and you can see like universal studios, Hollywood, you'll see like a plane crash set from, I think war of the worlds. You'll see, uh, Whoville from Ron Howard's how the Grinch stole Christmas. You'll see the psycho house and the Bates motel. And then if you look a little next to it, you'll see a cabin that's a great outdoors cabin. And then you'll see a big kind of pool when, uh, you kind of make out a green screen, blue screen from there, uh, for that when they need to film water stuff and all that. So really cool. You can see that house anytime. Actually, let me let me take one. Let me correct myself one little bit. That was about two years ago when we went to that tour. I would uh, assume it's still there since it's been there since the '80s. Why would they take it down? You know, within two years after I say it. Uh, but yeah, the, the exterior of the cabin is there on the back lot for where they filmed the Great Outdoors, which we will talk about next week right here on '80s Revisited. And until next week, I will hopefully remain Trey Harris, Jesse Sedgley, Candy Bunga. This show and more on Facebook.com slash AwesomePods. And follow us on Twitter at AwesomePods. Pods.